Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Fight fans, we welcome you into a new episode of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Before we get into the show, head over to our YouTube page over at CompuBox TV. Uh, subscribe. That's where we do a lot of our videos and previews. If you're listening to us over on iTunes, go ahead and subscribe there as well. Leave us a five-star review and a, a rating as well. And thank you to everyone that's joining us over on Fubo Sports, the Fubo Sports Network. We're going to be on there Every single Thursday night at 7 p.m. ET, we're very excited about our partnership with the Fubo Sports Network. Joining us on the show this week is Kevin Ioli. He's one of the only media members to cover both the UFC and top-ranked boxing cards in Las Vegas under the COVID regulations. So we'll get his experiences uh, with being inside the bubble. Uh, who's next? for Terrence Crawford, uh, as well as the Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua rumors that are speculating or swirling around. Uh, so we'll get a very good interview uh, with Kevin Ioli. Before we head into that interview, I want to take a second to recognize a fighter that we're going to see this Thursday, June 18th, over on ESPN, and that is Mikel Lespierre. He fights Jose Pedraza in the main event of that bout. And you may remember Lespierre uh, from his title fight with Maurice Hooker back in 2018. He lost a very close decision. But for me, Lespierre, he is the embodiment of 2020 uh, the, in the, with the coronavirus. For those of you who don't know, Lespierre works at the Mount Sinai Hospital. He's worked there for the last 12 years over in New York City, and they were hit very hard uh, by the coronavirus. He was working in the ER of that hospital for the last three months treating coronavirus patients. In addition to that, he was also training as a world championship fighter. And if you take a look at Ryan Sangalia's Twitter, there were some videos that emerged of Les Sapier since the gyms have been closed all across of New York City. He had to take his training outside. He had to legitimately train in the parks of New York City, going as far as using a tree as a heavy bag. He hit the mitts with his trainer right in the parks of New York City as people went by. So uh, every, he even got recognized by the WBC. They, they created an award uh, just for him and Tierra Brown as well, another developed fighter. So shout out to Mikel Lespierre. He fights on Thursday night. Job well done from him. And next, here it is, our interview with Kevin Ioli. Okay, joining us now here on Inside Boxing Live, you know him from Yahoo Sports. He's a combat sports columnist, very busy man, spending a lot of time in multiple bubbles. But he joins us here. He's Kevin Ioli. Kevin, how are you, man? I am doing great. Just don't call me the bubble boy. <laughs> He's the bubble boy. Yeah, I've used that joke numerous times here. But you're one of the few media that had spent time or covered the UFC in, in the Apex in Las Vegas and also the top-ranked card at MGM. Uh, what is life like inside of the bubble? Take us through what it's been like this last week. 
Well, I think I think I can say safely say I'm the only one who has done both. So uh, because it's a, a top rank show, I was one of only two reporters there. And uh, Scott Casciola from The New York Times was not inside the UFC bubble. So I got some worldwide distinction. Right. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I thought top rank did a great job. You know, UFC has been going for a little bit longer. But uh, so the top rank bubble, uh, what that re- basically was is you check into the MGM in Las Vegas, and then they have what they call a quarantine floor. So on that particular floor is where everybody involved with the fight stays, you know, the media, uh, the, you know, Bob Arum, the fighters, the trainers, the commission, anybody who's going to be working the fight stays on that floor. So then once you get to that floor, you're not allowed to go back down the regular elevator. So you come up the elevator. The first thing you do is you go ahead and uh, drop your stuff off at your room, and then you have to go get your COVID test. Wow. And they have a, a room right by the elevators where you walk in and it's a two room situation where you go in the first room and they process you. They take your temperature and then you walk into the next room and then they uh, they give you the swab test in there. And then they just tell you that you have to go into your room and you're not allowed to leave until you hear about your result. So I did that uh, when I went to the show uh, last week. So the, uh, the debut, the return of boxing, I was there uh, for the Shakur Stevenson show. I got there on Monday night. I checked into the MG. I was on the quarantine floor, got my test. Once my test was done, which took about five minutes or less, I was back in my room and I was in my room till 630 in the morning, at which point I got word that, hey, your test was clear. So you can now uh, enter this other part of the bubble. And what you do for that is now they have the conference center at the MGM. You know, when right in the back of the MGM off of Koval Lane, kind of where Top Golf is, mm-hmm. they built that new conference center. And, and the first floor of that was uh, listed as the, uh, the top rank area. So what I did then was I met Brad Jacobs, the COO of Top Rank, and I took a tour. So what you do is you, you, you go down the service elevator. They're trying to segregate you from the public. And so you go down the service elevator and you go out the back. And even though it's a short walk and it would be it was beautiful weather, it was nice to walk in. They make you take a shuttle down there. It's about a quarter of a mile, but they make you so that you don't have any chance of running into other people. When you get into the front of the uh, conference center right there, they have a person there who uh, gives you a wristband. And then every other time in and out, they scan you. And once you go back to your room, if you go to go on the regular elevator, they have a person seated right there and they say, if you get on that elevator, you have to get tested again. You cannot go through. So it's a pretty good system. All the stuff that the fighters needed was in the conference center, their food. They had training areas, um, the ring itself where the fight was, but they had multiple training areas so they could have, you know, more than one guy training at one time. Uh, They had separate weigh in rooms. So it was really good. I thought they did a really comprehensive job and it really was wasn't that much trouble. Uh, fight night, uh, everything was spaced out. If you can imagine, you know, the ring being on, say, the north side of the room, and they had the um, screens behind it. And then uh, I was in the first row of the media, and it was probably maybe 10 or 12 feet from the ring. And then all the tables were spaced out quite a bit. You know, Bob Arum was sitting behind me, and he was probably 10 to 15 feet behind. And they had three rows of tables, and then, you know, maybe another 50 feet behind that, they had three platforms set up. 
One platform was for the uh, top-ranked knockout, so of course you have to have them there. They had their own platform. The middle platform was uh, for ESPN, where Bernardo Asuna was doing his interviews from, and the third platform was where the ring announcer was, and so nobody went in the ring that didn't need to be in the ring. And so I, I thought they did a great job, and it was it was really secure, I felt, and, uh, and a very good job by Brad Jacobs and the top-ranked staff. I was going to say Brad Jacobs must have some sleepless nights putting that together. You just illustrated how, you know, drawn out this was, how planned out, you know, just just think hearing that from you just shows you how serious top rank and how serious the Nevada Athletic State Commission was putting these right. protocols together. Because let's be honest, you know, UFC put on their event in Florida. I don't think they took the same precautions that Vegas uh, did uh, that you just laid out. Yeah, and, and, and they did so many little things like, you know, for instance, uh, I had breakfast with Brad that day. Uh, no tablecloths on the tables. And, you know, I would have never thought twice about it, but Brad pointed out it's easier for the staff to clean up after you walk away from the table. Oh. No more than two people allowed to be at a table when you're eating. They had a buffet set up, which I know a lot of people are not crazy about buffets, but what it was was – you went down the food, there was a big, maybe five foot tall glass uh, window and they had four servers on the other side. So when you walked in, you know, you would say, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. And they didn't pass your food until the very end. So they just kept pushing it down the line on the inside of the glass. And then when you got to the end, they just left it on the edge of the thing so you could pick it up. So there was really no way that I or anybody else could breathe on it. And, and I the, the workers were safe because of the glass was there. And of course, we were wearing masks and also, you know, we were safe. So I, I thought it was, you know, very comprehensive what they did um, and very well thought out. You know, it's crazy that they're taking such precautions that you just illustrated. And then you have people, that video that, that surfaced a week ago of people just walking through the MG or walking through a uh, casino as if nothing happened. So it's crazy. Those are two worlds that are happening within less than a mile of each other. Just shows you where we are in a country. I mean, <laughs> it is absolutely nuts. But as for the fights, uh, you know, you were there for the fights and uh, we were all watched. And I think that Tuesday show was a little slow out of the gate, but it got better. Uh, on Thursday, you know, I've been in the arena uh, working for CompuBox, and I, I know you have as well. Uh, for the uh, the start of the the night of fights, where there's not much fans in the crowd, there's not much, uh, you know, the the fights are between right. prospects, and it's very quiet in there. You can hear the footwork uh, on the mat. You when if a guy hits the, the the canvas from a knockout, it sounds like thunder. In terms of being in the arena, what was it like for for having no fans in there? It's always odd. I, I felt the same thing at the UFC for the first couple of minutes. You know, so for the first round or so, it's weird. You know, you can hear the punches. You can hear what both corners are saying. You can hear the referee talking to them. Uh, and so, you know, what you normally can't hear, you know, when you're uh, sitting in the media section, right? You can't hear what the referee is saying. You can hear all that, but very quickly, it just became another fight. You know, I mean, they did a great setup, you know, with the TV screens and everything, these big giant screens, and the room looked beautiful. Um, and so I thought that, you know, you got immersed in it. And then very quickly, you didn't realize, you know, that you were in a quarantine situation. It was just right. another fight that, you know, I've covered thousands of fights and I was at another fight. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. Um, and the only weird thing, and you alluded to it uh, before, was when the fighters were out of the ring, you know, they would go back to ESPN and talk to Bernardo. And then we were allowed to grab them afterwards. And, you know, so we'd have to walk back there. It was just like kind of walk up to the fighters and, you know, there was no, uh, no buffer. Um, 
Yeah, there was kind of no buffer right there. And so it, that was interesting to see. The other thing I'll say, and, and I noticed this mostly in the Jared Anderson fight on uh, on Tuesday night, you know, good-looking heavyweight prospect. Uh, he was fighting this kid, Johnny Langston, and Anderson was a huge favorite. And, 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 you know, of course, he won the fight by third-round finish. But they were fighting in front of me, and, my God, they were going at it. And Langston, give him credit, as a massive underdog. He was fighting back. And it, I, I was hurting from those punches. I mean, that was probably the most that I can ever remember, right in the corner, right above me, and I could hear everything happening. And, I mean, I could hear the body shots and the one-point uh, – uh, Anderson landed a little body shot. And you're ooh, and yeah. you know, that's nothing that you normally hear. Yeah. And so it, just, it, it it added an element to it that I really enjoyed, and I and I thought was you know something to experience. Right. I, I came on the show last week and said you know I, I wanted more sound. I think a lot of fans were like, if we're not going to have the crowd noise, mic up the, the the athletes and let's hear more of the sounds of the game. But there are some sounds that I don't want to hear. You know, there was a, a a knockdown. I think it was Tuesday or Thursday night. And you hear the guy on the ground just writhing in, in pain. Like, I don't know yeah. if I exactly want to hear something like that, yeah. but the stuff in the corners, uh, I, I want to hear. And the fact that you were able to, to you know, get these fighters right after the after the fight, that for me as a media guy, I mean, that's just like, that's the cream of the crop right there. That's like the best, being able to have like a run of the, run of the left. You're the getting, they haven't had, had time to think about it to calm down. You're getting their true feelings, their true emotions. Uh, yeah, and I thought I thought it was it was great too. The other thing they did that was a little bit weird, they used an app. Um, what was it? Hear me? Can you hear me? Or um, Yeah, what did you think I, of that? I, I tweet, It was kind of weird because. It was uh, weird. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't normal fan noise. <laughs> exactly. And, and there was like people that were yelling to try to get their voice heard on TV. And so you could actually hear some people talking and all that. And so I thought that was a little bit strange. And at first when that started happening, you know, uh, I turned to Scott uh, from the New York Times who was sitting next to me and we both kind of looked at each other go, what's going on here? We didn't realize what it was. And uh, and so that was a strange thing. Uh, that was the only thing I would say that I gave thumbs down to, but I, I thought otherwise they did a terrific job and I was very impressed. Yeah, I think Top Rank's nailing it right now. And anyone that has to is going to criticize doesn't simply doesn't understand what it takes to put on a series of of events like this. Let's move on to to some fights or, or some fight rumors out there. Um, I know that Bob Arum has been talking about Terence Crawford. We'll start there. He listed uh, four fighters that we could potentially see Crawford in the ring with. He says either September or October period is when we will see uh, a Terence Crawford fight, whether it's in front of fans, uh, that remains to be seen. But he listed, uh, you know, Kel Brook, Manny Pacquiao, Ugas, and Sean Porter. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and eliminate Manny Pacquiao from the, this, uh, this competition. Move. I think that a lot of fans understand why. I'd love to see it. That's probably the, the fight that I want to see the most out of those four. Don't think that's uh, going to be the case. And I can maybe say the same uh, for Porter. In my mind, it's down to Ugas and it's down to, to Kel Brook. Uh, where do you think that uh, this will go? I think they're going to go with Ugas. Uh, they, they have a good relationship now with PBC, which is amazing to say they haven't had for years. Uh, but after working on the uh, Wilder Fury fight, you know, they, they found that their staffs work together well and they do things. It's a fight that makes sense. You know, Ugas is a, is a guy still, you know, competing at a fairly high level. You know, I mean, I don't mean to diss Kel Brook because I, I think the world of Kel Brook and I think he's a tough guy and, you know, and he's shown that and, you know, his fights with Golovkin and Errol Spence and, and everything else. Um, uh, but he's kind of at the end of the line, not a huge challenge uh, for uh, Crawford at this point. So I think if they can get a fight done with Ugas, that would be the fight they want to do. Of course, everybody wants to see him fight Errol Spence. Uh, but I think with the fighter demands uh, financially, we're not going to see that until there are fans in the place. 
I like Ugas. I like that fight a lot. That's a fight that, you know, I've seen a lot of fight fans calling for. He's a top five welterweight, in my opinion. Maybe doesn't have the name recognition or bring in the, uh, the type of fan base. But I think if Crawford can get past Ugas, that's a really good step in, in, ter in terms of uh, making the Spence fight. Over to another rumor that we saw last week that kind of came out of nowhere. And that is Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua saying that they're going to fight in 2021. Your initial reaction to this, and let's have some fun with this. Let's legitimize this fight, but let's also delegitimize it. What, what would be your first reaction when you, you got wind of this uh, report? Wow. You know, that was it. But I think, you know, when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, it's exactly what Tyson Fury did with uh, with Deontay Wilder. You know, he, he fought him. They had that two-fight series, uh, you know, that they signed. They had the original fight, and then they signed the two-fight series. And that two-fight series is kind of what he's doing with Anthony Joshua. So it kind of – you get credence to it because you see their similarities to what he did before. And they are not saying, hey, it is the next fight. They're saying, hey, we have to do these other two fights, you know, the, the sad part of it to me is the fact that we know the titles are going to be split. This will be the first time in the four belt era if the fight happens that uh, one guy will have all four belts and immediately they're going to get split because Dillian White and uh, Alexander Usyk are going to be mandatories and they're not going to fight those guys. And so they're going to get stripped of those belts. And so, you know, we'll end up having two or three champions. But I, I, I thought, wow, when I heard it, I liked it. And I hope that uh, both guys uh, uh, get to that fight because I think to me uh, it would be really good to have that unification fight and have one champion. I know Deontay Water certainly is going to have something to say about it, but I think that's that would be a huge night for boxing if you could pull that off. You know, one of the criticisms of, uh, in the boxing world is, is I hear from fans all the time, is we have nothing look, looking forward to. We have no big fights on the horizon. Uh, it doesn't ever build up to something. Now we finally have something here. Even if, you know, you want to criticize Tyson Fury or, or the Tyson Team Fury for, for you know, negotiating this deal with, with Joshua before the Wilder fight, which is a very dangerous third fight. But this this is something this adds more drama to it. I mean, even if it's true or it's not true, or you want to you just say Eddie Hearn did it for you know to to placate the the zone subscribers or to get Matchroom back into the headlines. To me, this creates a mystique. It creates a little more drama. Now we have a, a path for Tyson Fury that if he knocks down this, you have to put him uh, among the greats. I, I love it. I, I think it's it's good for boxing. So yeah, I think when you look at this, look, this is what you want. You want the best fighting the best. So now, you know, who are the three best heavyweights in the world? I think everybody would agree right now. Uh, Tyson Fury is number one, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder in some order are numbers two and three. We are going to have number one fight either number two or number three. Then he's going to turn around if he wins that and, and, and fight the other guy who's either number two or number three. So, you know, I think that as we look at this, this is exactly what we want to have happen. We want the best guys to fight the best and we don't want it to be a one-time thing. So yes, encourage this, do these kind of things. It puts a little pressure It adds stakes uh, uh, to the fight. We know what's going on. And I think the one thing is, if Wilder were to happen to win, I think he would just jump in and basically jump into the fight with Joshua, yeah. you know, uh, and, and have those two guys fight uh, as opposed to Fury. So, you know, I think uh, it bodes well. Now, if Kubrat Pulev wins, I think it's a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's hope, uh, hoping and hope that doesn't happen, and nothing against Kubrat, but I want to see, uh, I want to see these two big guys go at it. Well, given 2020 and everything that's happened in this year, would you be that surprised if Kubrat Pulev just pulls off some incredible upset? 
I'll tell you what, any half-decent heavyweight, I would not be surprised to beat Anthony Joshua after seeing what I saw from exactly. him in the last couple of fights. You know, That's another um, thing. I, you know, I think Joshua is a talented guy. I don't think he's a fighter, so to speak. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, the way he fought Ruiz, not in the fight he lost, but in the fight he won, to me, was really bad. I thought, you know, he fought really timid and really cautious. And, you know, I understand fighting smart. You know, I, I'm the guy that sung the praises of Floyd Mayweather all throughout his career. And people said, oh, he's, you know, he's boring. He doesn't fight offensive. You know, but he, Floyd, you look at what he did throughout his career. You know, yes, he was a defensive fighter, and that made sense going up against bigger guys. But you have to take some risks, and Floyd did that. This guy, uh, Anthony, against um, against Andy Ruiz, took, in my opinion, no risks. And I think that you know that is uh, a thing. So you know, I think he's a better fighter, a more talented guy than Kubrat Pulev. But if Pulev hits him on the chin, even if he doesn't knock him down, I think that puts something in AJ's mind. And I think all of a sudden now that that changes the dynamic of the fight. You know, AJ is going to kind of come out like he's fighting going downhill. But if Pulev can land something big and gain his respect, I think that changes the entire dynamic of the fight. So it would not shock me. You know, I mean, I would, I'm not expecting Pulev to win that, but I would not, you know, be floored if Pulev did win it. Lastly, before we let you go, uh, a big story to come from this uh, Joshua and Fury fight is some of the guys behind the scenes that have made this fight possible. And Tyson Fury came out right on ESPN and, and, and listed a name that I think boxing fans are starting to become familiar with. That's Daniel Kinahan. Uh, he is a controversial figure, to say the least, uh, associated now with MTK, has a lot of uh, criminal allegations uh, on his past. Do you feel like the U.S. media – We'll start covering this a little more. So CNN Sport had tweeted something out about it. Do you feel like the U.S. media is you know, no, no choice but to start covering uh, Daniel Kinahan's role in uh, everything that he's about? I think, you know, at some point it's going to come out. And here in, in the U.S., I mean, most of what we've gotten have been related to uh, European media. And I think the reason for that is, you know, most of the alleged crimes have occurred in Ireland that have, that have happened. And you've seen some Irish politicians call him, you know, the biggest gangster in the world and all these kind of things. You know, they're, you know uh, Neil Richmond is one of them, has been very outspoken uh, about Kinahan. And he's been writing to the TV network saying, you want to uh, put these fights on and basically go into business with this guy. I think the media here in the U.S. is going to see that and write about it more as we go forward. I don't know that you're going to see the kind of in-depth stuff that you see in Ireland because the media here doesn't have access to all the stuff. You know, you'd have to go to Ireland to talk to the people and to kind of get the police records and and, and all the things that are going on. But I do think, you know, you're going to see, you know, where the first uh, little while MTK was in the U.S. And, you know, the M, the M in MTK uh, comes from Macklin, Matt Macklin. You know, he used to be part of them. He is no more. Um, um, and I think, you know, that they've been around a long time, but people are just kind of waking up to the fact of, uh, you know, of the allegations against Daniel Kinahan. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen a, a shady character uh, enter the boxing world. It's, it's, it's been around as long as the sport uh, has been around as well. Kevin Ioli, I appreciate the time. You're outside of the bubble now, but he will be entering the bubble once again this week for another uh, installment of Top Rank Boxing over on ESPN. Does great work, Kevin, over at Yahoo Sports. Go check him out. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live, and I look forward to more of your work. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Kevin Ioli, for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. You got a little glimpse of what it's like to be inside of the bubble over in Las Vegas. A very thorough job 
uh, from top rank and, and Brad Jacobs and Carl Moretti all the way down the line to our man Evan Korn, the corner man, who usually books us guests here uh, on the show. You can see that they are leaving no stone unturned in terms of creating a safe atmosphere for the fighters and the media alike, too. I think there'll be more media members uh, allowed to trickle in. Kevin Ioli was the only media member uh, in, in the house, along with the New York Times reporter, but he was the only guy to be at the UFC event and also the boxing stuff. Some great stuff there. A lot more rumors. We're seeing a lot more fights being rumored on Twitter. I think that uh, Oscar Valdez uh, is a guy you might see in July. That's coming out of nowhere. Terrence Crawford, I think his next opponent is going to dominate uh, the boxing headlines for the next couple of weeks because Manny Pacquiao is in the fray. And uh, if you, heard, you just heard on our conversation uh, with, with Kevin Ioli that I think it's going to be your Dennis Ugas. I hope it's your Dennis Ugas. Another thing that we're seeing uh, play out right in front of our eyes is this saga between King Rye, Ryan Garcia, and Oscar De La Hoya. I talked to a friend who doesn't even watch boxing, and he says that Ryan Garcia is the most popular boxer in the game right now. I think a lot of boxing fans would, would say otherwise, but that just shows you the popularity of King Rye, Ryan Garcia. More on that, more on what we just watched over uh, on Top Rank on ESPN. Coming to you next week. Thank you so much for joining us here on Inside Boxing Live. We'll see you next week.